It's 11 minutes before the hour, and you are listening to Raven Radio KCAW Sitka. Today is Tuesday, April 4th, 2023. I'm Catherine Rose with Raven News. Tim Castro has been named as Chief Executive Officer of Shiatica Incorporated. The Board of Directors of Sitka's Urban Native Corporation announced on Monday that Castro will take over the top management position in the organization following the abrupt departure of former CEO Carl Potts last September. Castro and Shiatica's Chief Financial Officer, Tarmika Garnick, have been sharing senior executive duties in the interim. Castro joined the Shiatica family of companies in 2019 as president of Alaska North Star Resources. Two years later, he was promoted to the top job in Shiatica Government Services, a holding company comprised of four government contracting subsidiaries. According to a news release, Castro built the portfolio of businesses from startup to $40 million in revenue. Shiatica board chair Rob Allen said, quote, Tim has been the driving force behind the growth and profitability of our subsidiaries. Castro is a graduate of Auburn University with a degree in management information systems. Herring season in Sitka is a study in contrasts. Each spring for the last 45 years, large saners land tons of herring, whose egg sacs are stripped and sold as a delicacy on the international market, often for millions. But the frenzy and money around the commercial sacro fishery overshadow a far quieter indigenous fishing tradition that's taken place for millennia. I recently accompanied a pair of subsistence harvesters in search of one of Sitka Sound's most valued food resources, herring eggs on hemlock branches. It's a clear Sunday morning in March, and the herring are on the move. Paulette Moreno and Andrew Roberts are slowly motoring north through Sitka Sound. Their 16-foot yellow boat, nicknamed Tweety Bird, is loaded up with five hemlock branches to set today. The traditional Hlinket herring egg harvest has begun. Moreno has been harvesting row on branches for around 15 years. Roberts has been doing it for most of his life. He points to a rocky area on the western side of Middle Island that's been productive in the past. This is usually a pretty good spot that where that boat is, right in that little gut there. That's where we uh, traditionally, you know, when they start spawning in here, there'll be 50 to 100 sets in there. This is a real popular place. They're cruising along when an announcement from the Alaska Department of Fish and Game comes over VHF radio. Uh, yeah, big story in the morning. We have about two nautical miles of spawn. The sun is out, but the water is a bit choppy, so Moreno and Roberts may not make it out to Shoals Point, which is about nine miles of open water away from where we are now, on the southeastern tip of Cruzoff Island. But they're not worried. They've already set some trees in that area. Moreno says for the last three years, she and the Herring Protectors, a local advocacy group, have been setting protection trees to call attention to traditional fishing grounds that should be avoided by commercial seining vessels. So they're complete sets, and we put them in strategic locations, and then we call up Fish and Game and tell them (laughs) where they're at. We can set where and when we want, and these protection sets are to remind people who pass that area that there are sets out there. And uh, sometimes those sets do really good, but the idea of a protection tree is to do that to protect the herring and the area. They slow their boat down in the lee of Middle Island to wait for the wind to die down. Roberts breaks out a rod and reel and begins to troll for salmon. 
It's a delicate waiting game. The window to set branches at just the right time has shrunk in recent years. Right before our eyes, instead of seeing this bond for three or four days, we literally are seeing it pass through in four hours. Unheard of. Unheard of. Roberts says it didn't used to be that way. It was so so thick I've seen as a, as a toddler that when the uh, tide went out, herring would be stuck in the tide pools because there's no, you know, the sand was so full that there was no place fish to go. Uh, so, uh, you know, I've seen it just in my generation uh, how, how uh, you know, how plentiful the herring were. And uh, it's, it's, it's not that way anymore. He believes that's due to years of mismanagement of the commercial fishery. 2022 saw the biggest commercial harvest in Sitka's history, 25,000 tons, which was just over half of the 45,000 tons the Department of Fish and Game allowed that year. In 2019 and 2020, the market crashed and there was no commercial fishing at all. Marino remembers how good those years were for traditional harvesters. It was the year that COVID had just started, and we came through Middle Island, and it was a very calm, beautiful day. It was native heaven again, because there were boats and skiffs, and it was calm, it was peaceful, there was spawn everywhere. There was no competition with a commercial fleet whatsoever. Everybody's waving and smiling. We're all putting down our branches. She yearns for that undisturbed time on the water. While she's called for moratoriums of the commercial fishery in the past and would still like to see that, she suggests a year on and a year off could be a place where traditional harvesters and commercial fishermen could find compromise. It would give us as harvesters a chance to go out undisturbed and be in that native heaven, you know, that we experience when there are not obstacles and we are closest to our spirit and our way of life. And then it would give the herring a chance to replenish those different years. So yes, every other year I think would be good, but we need help in pursuing it because the organizations that we have to go to, to to try to just bring these things forward are um, not always receptive. That time out on the water is important to Moreno because traditional harvesting is much more, much deeper than the word subsistence suggests. Something that we need as a people to survive in the best way possible because this feeds our spirits. And not only our spirits, there are Alaska Native and Native Alaskans who share this with us, who are hungry for balance in this world, who are hungry for things that matter the most. And this is one of them, so we need that to be uninhibited. The closer that we are to less barriers and challenges and obstacles just to get the food that we have always eaten, the less barriers, the closer we are to our core. Every barrier that's put up that we need to deal with brings us further from our very soul and our very way of life. And it's a sacred, beautiful way of life. And that's all we're asking is to be able to practice that. As the 
pair troll back towards town. Over the VHF radio, commercial fishermen let each other know where they're going next to look for schools of herring. Roberts and Moreno laugh. They can see a big school of herring on their depth sounder just below the boat. But they'll keep it to themselves today. The herring were right there with us, Moreno later said as we got off the boat in Sealing Cove. That's communication. Commercial herring saners fished briefly on Saturday in Sitka Sound, but there was no opening on Sunday as spawning continued to expand along several parts of the shoreline. According to its most recent news release, the Alaska Department of Fish and Game has recorded just over 20 nautical miles of active spawning in the sound, with most activity on Sunday occurring from Fred's Creek north along the cruise off shoreline to Hayward Strait, and then to the south along the western shore of Middle Island. Saners landed a combined 1,000 tons of herring during a 75-minute opening on Saturday in Alakitna Bay and a four-hour opening in St. John the Baptist Bay. The total commercial harvest so far is about 4,000 tons. About 13% of the 30,000-ton total harvest allowed this year by ADF&G. Every day of additional spawning reduces the chances that saners will hit that target, however, as the sacro fishery targets only large, mature females, which have yet to spawn. Aerial survey and harvest data from today was unavailable as of press time. On Sunday, Juneau police arrested Mitchell Watley in connection with anti-trans and threatening notes posted around town. Watley is widely known as the illustrator of the popular Alaska children's book, I Would Tuck You In. He's being charged with terroristic threatening, a felony. On Friday, notes were left downtown in Foodland IGA and the state office building. Two more were left in Juneau's Costco over the weekend. Juno police were able to use Costco's surveillance video to track the person who posted the notes back to a car. They then traced the license plates on the car to Watley. When police arrested Watley, he allegedly admitted to posting the notes. Lieutenant Craig Campbell with the Juno police credited the FBI for helping with the arrest. You know, anytime there's a potential threat like this and it comes across, we try to partner with um, any resources we can. So that's any other law enforcement that may build aid in this. And the FBI is a partner that a lot of times will assist in these types of cases. At Watley's arraignment on Monday, Assistant District Attorney Rexine Finley said Watley put Juno residents in fear by placing the notes where, quote, people go shopping with their children. She said he intimidated the trans community as well as families with children in schools. The judge set Watley's bond at $10,000. She also required that he hand in all firearms and stay away from schools and parks as conditions of release from Lemon Creek Correctional Center, where he's been held since his arrest. A preliminary hearing in the case is set for April 11th. I'm Catherine Rose, and this has been Raven News.